allies, and anybody that wants to learn more about the LGBT plus community. My name is Zanardi, and I'm so glad all your beautiful faces are here. Hello, family. Welcome back. Take a seat. Take a seat. Take a load off your feet. Unless you're, like, running or something while listening. But settle in, y'all. It's my birthday. Well, this day that this is releasing is my birthday. So if you want to give me a little birthday present while listening, take 30 seconds or so and rate the podcast on whatever platform. Maybe leave a review. Pretty, pretty, please. Anyway, this episode is fantastic, jam-packed with information, most specifically about the trans community and gender dysphoria, the transitioning process, gatekeeping in the LGBT community, because, you know, that's a, that's a huge issue. People telling others that they aren't valid because X, Y, Z, or, or whatever. We get into a little discourse about rapid-onset gender dysphoria, which I found so interesting, because it's basically... The idea of kids identifying as trans, like really, really young kids. And is that safe and appropriate? And so that led to a very interesting conversation and dialogue that takes place around the middle, I would say. And then near the end, we get into a bit of a funny part about sexual identities and sexual fluidity. So buckle up. Our guest today is my friend and fellow creator, Brennan Beckwith. He is a 22-year-old trans male with just an overwhelming amount of knowledge and passion for the trans community. So guys, gals, gays, gals, non-binary pals, get ready to learn something and give it up for Brennan. Brennan, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Good. So why don't you introduce yourself? Just tell us a little bit about who you are. Hi, my name is Brennan and um, my TikTok is at spiderbren. Um, I am non-binary trans mask, um, to certain circles. I might just be a trans man, um, to other circles. Uh, my identity is even more complicated than that. So, um, yeah, I use he, him pronouns for the most part. They, them pronouns too. What really is the difference between those two identities that you kind of just um, a non-binary trans mask and a trans man. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, so non-binary is like, I don't see myself as on the binary gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really see myself as particularly, you know, binary male. However, I am trans mask. Um, I was assigned female at birth. However, um, I am, I feel more masculine. I feel more like a man than I've ever felt like a woman. And also I use the term trans mask because I am um, transitioning medically Mm. um, into what society or cisgender people would um, label as a man. Right. Um, So to certain circles, um, I might just say I'm a trans man because I am transitioning medically to what society thinks is a man. And I do feel more masculine. I do feel more like a boy. Um, So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and and so, uh, do non are 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 all non-binary people? I there's this debate going on about whether non-binary people are also transgender. So I think that if I I think that the definition of transgender is scientifically you someone who doesn't identify with the with the gender they were assigned at birth. So everyone is assigned a gender at birth, which is male and female. Um, nobody is assigned non-binary at birth. 
So it is of my opinion that if you identify as non-binary or somewhere on the gender spectrum that is not male or female or that is not assigned to you at birth, you are inherently transgender. I don't think anything else um, defines being transgender other than not identifying as the gender you are assigned at birth. So the argument that non-binary is not transgender is because we like to label transgender as switching sides mm. when in reality it's it's very more much more nuanced than that it's more complicated than that and so i personally think that being non-binary is transgender because you no one is assigned non-binary at birth right it's it is changing you're it's <laughs> yeah switching it's yeah making some sort of shake up you're you're changing something about yourself you're changing your name you're changing your um the way people perceive you um and and that is inherently tied to changing your gender um, or the perception of your gender. So I think that non-binary is transgender. However, there is room for non-binary people to say they don't necessarily identify with the term transgender and that is totally okay. Mm -hmm. But I think that when it comes to, um, you know, labeling an ultimate community, I think that non-binary people, if they want to identify with the trans label, they are completely within their right to do that. And I identify as trans, I've always identified as trans um, because I was never assigned non-binary at birth. I was assigned female at birth and I do not identify as female. Therefore, I am trans. I am trans enough. I also have dysphoria. I also have um, all of the other things that may come with the identity of transgender. However, you know, I, the, the basic definition of transgender is that you're not a you're identifying as something you weren't assigned at birth and I wasn't assigned non-binary birth. Therefore I am transgender. <laughs> right. When, when did the, the real journey of being transgender begin for you? When do you think that really started to set in? Um, probably, um, after puberty, I think I, I would like to have this beautiful story of like when I was a small child, I always knew that I was a man. However, um, and I, I do have those stories, right? Like I cried when my brother joined Boy Scouts and I wasn't able to join Boy Scouts. I have those stories, but I feel like those stories kind of serve a cisgender narrative. Um, I think that I started researching gender nonconformity and learning a lot about non-binary identities in high school. And I was always uncomfortable with myself. I was always uncomfortable with people perceiving me in a certain way. Um, but I also, you know, I liked dresses. I liked, I've dated a guy, I, I, I had long hair. Like there were, you know, I don't think I had a very pristine transition where I looked in the mirror and realized that I was a guy. I think um, there was a point in high school where I would wear several sports bras to school and I would just say, eh, I just don't like my chest, you know? Um, but it wasn't until probably my junior senior year that I started um, identifying as non-binary. Um, I identified as genderqueer, which I still um, feel for that identity. I feel like that's a good description of who I am. Um, Can you define genderqueer? So genderqueer is um, one term within the non-binary community. Um, it's just a neither male nor female somewhere in the gender spectrum or the gender cloud. And it's not necessarily defined by any particular um, 
gender identity. Um, it is it is gender queer. It, it you're a queer person and your gender identity is queer. I think queer is a beautiful um, umbrella term for all things. So gender queer is just a queerness of the gender. Mm. Um, so I identified as that for a long time. Um, came out on MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out on MTV's True Life. Um, I actually came out on YouTube as gender fluid, gender queer, because I felt like my identity slid along whatever spectrum. My identity has evolved since then, but I came out when I was 17 on MTV's True Life, I'm Genderqueer. And y'all can look that up. What's the, what's the name of it? It's the show True is True Life, I'm Genderqueer. I'm Genderqueer. I, it's probably somewhere online. You can probably yeah. find clips of it. Um, but I was young then and I, and I wasn't totally, I was just coming out. I was just coming out. I came out on YouTube and then I was picked up by the show and I, and so I, so I came out that way and then I went to college and I started, um, my identity has adapted and changed and developed over time. I've definitely been able to articulate my identity a lot better now that I'm, I'm 22 now. I have a lot better, I have a better grasp on who I am and my identity and, uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so in which ways did it develop? So what when you came out as genderqueer, wh- what was the next four or five years looking like as you were going to college? What was prompting you to ultimately lead to your next discovery? So I, so in college, I identified as gender nonconforming for a little while. However, um, I've never been super serious about my identity. I've never been one to correct people on my pronouns. I've always been very relaxed. I tell people that I'm like the most relaxed trans person you'll ever meet. And, you know, not all trans people are going to be as relaxed as I am. And yeah, so then, um, then something happened where I was uh, very, very harmfully bullied online for being non-binary. So I kind of went back into the closet for a little while, Um, probably we'll say 2016 to 2019. I was very much back in the closet. I was out as gender non-conforming to my friends, a few coworkers, some professors. Uh, I changed my name um, to Brennan in high school. And so but my legal name was on a lot of this rosters and stuff like that for college. Mm-hmm. So I was out as gender nonconforming trans, but it was never really defined. It was, I never really had any deep conversations about my identity for a really long time. And I definitely was not out on the internet. I very much kept, kept my identity close to my chest for a long time. And it wasn't until recently that I, uh, like maybe 2020, where I really started to push myself to, be out and be more proud of my identity. Um, I started taking testosterone in June and really coming to terms with the fact that I'm not just, my gender isn't just floating in the air somewhere. It's it's not ill-defined. My gender is very well-defined as a trans mask, non-binary person. And and I know that to be true. And it's it's just a matter of articulating that to other people. Did you would, yeah. w- uh, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm no, sorry. No, sure. <laughs> call, call, uh, wording it that way, trans mask person. Would you not consider yourself a, a man? Is that? I think um I, it's it's so hard, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> to um so I so 
in society, we like to pinpoint people's gender identities, right? Yeah. It's it's very much, are you a man or a woman? Are you or are, are you non-binary? You know, I think the conversation is moving towards in the queer community, we're starting to add non-binary people in it. However, it's never three things, right? It's never just one of three things. And so I think, you know, to you, I can say that I'm trans mask. And I think that you would understand that mm-hmm. to other trans people. I can say that I'm a trans mask, non-binary, demi boy, you know, like I can let go, go on and on about my identity. Yeah. But to cisgender people, people who haven't been exposed to the trans community at all, I would say that I'm a trans man, okay. just so they understand that I am medically transitioning and I would like to prefer to be preferred, referred to as a man. So it, it depends on what community I'm talking to. And I am very good at identifying those communities. So on a on, on an LGBT podcast, mm-hmm. I can say that I'm a non-binary trans mask person. Sure. But to my mom, I'm a trans man. Yeah. And she can't even come to terms with that. So right. so it's it's very much catered. My identity is very much catered to who I'm talking to. And I'm okay with that. So I, I love that we're bringing this up. Because <laughs> I love this. This is the conversation you want to have. So we might have some listeners that like they hear trans, uh, trans mask, trans non-binary mask. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I get it. I get yeah. it. And then we have other listeners who might be cisgendered straight, or maybe yeah. they're cisgendered gay, and they don't, they don't know. Maybe they're like your mom. So like, can can you go into the differences between? So can I go into the differences between? So I think it's all the same identity. Right. I'm the same person. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I, I mean, explaining the, the, the nuances of why okay. trans man is one thing and then it's not one thing, but the same. But like why to different communities, they mean different things. If we can. So I that. think that um, everybody has a different level of understanding of transness. Yeah. Right. I think that there are people who only have ever known their entire lives, male and female. So when you talk about transitioning you have to talk about it in binary language you have to talk about it as male and female so to your straight cisgender listeners what are y'all doing listening to a queer (laughs) podcast first of all but second of all i would i would ask them to maybe expand their minds a little bit to the idea that gender is not two things it's not male and female and it never has been right gender has always been a very fluid and up in the air kind of thing. It's only recently in history that we've tried to define it so narrowly. Mm. So with those people who have a basic understanding their entire lives, they've only met cisgender, male, female people, and that's all they know. So when you introduce the idea of transness, you have to introduce it in a way that's very clearly this person is a man trapped in a woman's body. You know, you get those very basic, basic definitions of what trans is, right? right? And so to a person that has never met a trans person, I would introduce myself as a trans man. I was born a woman, Mm -hmm. but now I am a man, Mm -hmm. you know, to a and so, and that is just caters to their understanding. It's an easy way to put a filter on it and, yeah. make, it, and make it presentable. You have to go in steps, right? right? Like you can't just throw out this 
crazy or seemingly crazy identity to somebody who's never heard of those terms before. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like a, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like science class. Exactly. 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 So, you know, there's a lot of people who say like biology is male and female. Okay. They have a ninth grade understanding of biology. So you have to start at a ninth grade understanding of biology and you have to move up. Right. Mm -hmm. So to my mom, I don't want to put my mom on blast, but like, but she's a good example of a cisgender person who very much has only seen male and female her entire life. Men are men, women are women, right? Um, so now she's just very much on the surface of understanding that men can be feminine, women can be masculine, and people can be assigned female at birth and can i say like gen like vaginas and stuff? oh yeah we're, we're already <laughs> oh, okay okay cool um, so like so like people can have vaginas and identify as men and people can have penises and identify as women yeah. um so and that's a very you know basic understanding but it's where she's at okay. right it's where a cisgender person who has never really learned about the queer community is at right and I think as I've come out as gender nonconforming and stuff like that, she's really, you know, developed over time. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> what, what was what was it like coming out as gender queer in a time that at least I remember, and also I was straight back then, so oh, I wasn't involved with the community. But I feel like gender queer in what 2015, 2014, like those kinds of. When terms. did I come out on? I think I came out like 2016, 2016. 2017. I don't know. It, the, all the years. I was doing the quick math. The years either. don't yeah. add up. I don't know. Um, but okay, even in 2016, like it. It was very much queer new. Wasn't as as a common term, you know. It's yeah. Not as put out there, which I feel like we progressed a lot in the last five years. Yeah. So, what was that like coming out as something that seemed so bold at at, at the time? It was very, I very much felt like I was speaking on behalf of a community that was so underground. True Life I'm Genderqueer was really one of the first mainstream recognitions of a non-binary identity or a queer identity, a gender non-conforming identity. And so me and the other person, Jacob Tobiah, that was on the show with me, we're, we're really pushing the boundaries of what, of the transgender conversation. And so what was it like to me? I, I very much at the time felt like I was kind of starting a conversation that was very much within the queer community and pushing it out to not the queer community, to a mainstream community. Um, and how do people react? What, at a personal level, let's say your parents, and then at a so so at, at a personal level, I think my parents um, were my parents have always been pretty accepting. My parents are like white liberals. They're mm. they're very much accepting of queer people, love their kids to death. Like they love me to death. So I was never worried that they wouldn't love me. Um, I think I was more worried that they wouldn't understand. And I think that even now we're having the conversation, and we're we're still developing an understanding of what gender nonconforming and gender queer is. But at the time, you know, for the TV show, they were very, very understanding. And, you know, I was asking them to grasp the concept of gender nonconformity. 
the concept of their child being gender nonconforming and also do it in front of cameras. Yeah. So it was very, it was a very interesting coming out experience. And, and I think I internalized a lot of that reaction and kind of just left it there. I, I very much wasn't, I wasn't reading the comments on the particular gender queer episode. I think that there was a lot of people reached out to me and said, you know, their child was genderqueer or or they're genderqueer and they really, really appreciated seeing that narrative. So I think that there was very much a side of people who had those feelings, those feelings of gender nonconformity and felt extremely validated by that. And of course, there were people that were like, oh, you're a freak, you're crazy, you know, you, you know, you're just trying to get attention, of, of course, whatever. There was those reactions. And then then there's the reactions from binary trans communities that people, trans people who experience gender identity very, very clearly within the binary, and they didn't like it. They thought that, you know, it was too bold of a conversation to have, it would confuse cisgender people. And that kind of rhetoric kind of went around. So I think it was a mixed reaction. And the, yeah. the, the, the gatekeeping on the genderqueer uh, or the gatekeeping from the the binary trans people that yeah. transition from male to female. What what I know we talked about this offline, but like, what are your, your overall thoughts on gatekeeping and why it happens? So okay, yeah. So I think we were we were we had such a good conversation about this like five minutes ago. So I think that gatekeeping. I've been extremely negatively affected by gatekeeping in a very specific way, and I was. I, I can talk about it. I, I was targeted by a man named Calvin Guerra. And if you are in the tr trans mask community, you know who that is. He's a trans man who is very much against non-binary identities for the, for the reason that they confuse the transgender narrative to cisgender people. I feel like I'm speaking very high-minded. So I think that, so there's this thing called transmedicalism. And transmedicalism... <laughs> Trans, uh, transmedicalism is the ideology that in order to be transgender, you need a diagnosis from a doctor, you need to pursue medical transition, and you need to go on hormones and get surgeries in order to be seen as transgender. So you need to go through the process. The, you need the, to go through the very straightforward process physical of process. physical, mental, social process of being transgender or else you are not transgender. And transmedicalism is is enforced by trans people who just cannot wrap their heads around the idea that that somebody might identify as transgender and not necessarily go through all of those steps or not necessarily feel violently against their bodies. And I think that I was targeted for that. I was targeted for having a gender identity that was transgender, but not the kind of transgender that cisgender people understand. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, yeah totally. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep going. You're doing so, <laughs> so I was very much targeted for that. But no, that totally makes sense of what you're saying that people are gatekeeping that. Yeah, and and I think it comes from so it comes from this mindset that we have to define define transgender in a way that cisgender people can understand. Mm. 
and in order to be accepted mm-hmm. by cisgender people, yeah, in order to be accepted by straight people, transgender people need to fit in their box and whatever their box is, which is, I see where it's coming from. You know, everyone wants to be accepted. Everybody, but who do they want to be accepted by? They want to be accepted by straight people. They mm-hmm. want to be accepted by cisgender people. And they're, and so they see non-binary people or people that aren't trying to be accepted by cisgender people as a threat, mm. right? Yeah. And I, but it's shooting down. Well, because we're, we're not meant, we're not here to please cisgender people. And yeah. We're and here so, to exist. so exactly. So, and that's inherently threatening to people who are trying to please cisgender people. So people like Calvin Guerra are trying to please cisgender people. They're trying to make themselves as cisgender as possible, as, you know, as under, understandable as possible in order to gain favor. Mm. And in order to do that, they're tearing down non-binary people. They're tearing down people who they don't understand. They're tearing right? down their own community. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, and, and the way that at the end of the day, transmedicalism is is serving a cisgender narrative and also oh my gosh i don't know how to put this but so so there's something called gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. and gender dysphoria is a medical diagnosis that allows you to access hormones and surgeries right so a a surgeon cannot do perform a surgery if there's not a problem if there's not a problem with somebody they they cannot legally medically ethically perform a surgery if you cannot prescribe hormones to somebody if there's not a problem and that's that's western medicine that's the medical field that we are dealing with as trans people Mm. so cisgender doctors cisgender practitioners made up the term gender dysphoria in order to give us a gender uh, a medical diagnosis so we can access the surgeries that we need so mm-hmm. we can access the medicine that we need and so so gender dysphoria has become a term a useful term to describe the feeling of being transgender to describe the distress that comes with being transgender and to describe the need and to justify the need for hormones and for surgery does gender dysphoria can that occur outside of a trans person? Could it, it, is it? I think that, I think that gender dysphoria is inherently trans. Mm -hmm. I think that having gender dysphoria is very much linked to being transgender or non-binary. However, what I'm getting at is gender dysphoria is just a term that was made up by cisgender doctors in order to grant us access in a legal, ethical, medical Mm -hmm. way to the surgeries that we desire. Okay. And let's it, be clear, we're not here, we're not doctors here. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so we're not doctors, of course, yeah. And so and I so I think that is a very valuable term because it describes a lot of the feelings we don't have a description for. Hmm. It describes what I feel when I look in the mirror and don't recognize my body. It describes what I feel when I am angry and sad and upset and I get anxiety when I feel like somebody is perceiving me as a woman. Mm. That feeling doesn't have a name until I assign gender dysphoria to it. Sure. So the reason that I 
was able to get onto hormones was by having gender dysphoria, by having a name for all of this anxiety, anger, angst, um, frustration, disassociation, all of these other feelings that come with gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is just a name for it. And does gender dysphoria, from, from your knowledge is it or, or experience, does it typically, is it something that, that really begins at birth that like kind of lasts a lifetime or does it pop on later in life? I think it's a different for everybody. So, okay. so the DSM-5 is what the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. Um, I have a degree in social work, just so y'all know. <laughs> I, so I, I have a limited understanding of what set of psychology and stuff like that. So the DSM-5 defines gender dysphoria as a disconnect between somebody's assigned gender at birth and somebody's perceived felt gender. Mm. And so there is so much that goes with that. There's so much room for, for dysphoria to manifest itself. And this can be seen in children. This can be seen in children when they get really stressed out about wearing a dress, when they identify as a boy, but they were born a girl, right? Mm -hmm. But it can also be seen later in life. Like I said, I feel like I came into my identity and started developing gender dysphoria a little bit later than you know a lot of transgender people would feel comfortable saying. And there's room for gender dysphoria to be defined in so many different ways. So when we gatekeep gender dysphoria, when we when we tell other people that they don't have gender dysphoria because they don't hit all of the points in the DSM-5 definition of gender dysphoria, there that's gatekeeping. That's, mm. you know, trying to serve a narrative that inherently oppresses us. Right. Inherently, you know, tears us down by by trying to go down a list defined I need to remind you all that the gender dysphoria was defined by cisgender doctors, mm. cisgender doctors that want to help trans people, that want to give trans people a diagnosis so we can access the medical care that we need, right? But when we start to gatekeep gender dysphoria, when we start to tell people that they don't experience gender dysphoria correctly, mm. we're tearing each other down. Yeah. We're We're hurting each other. We're, you know we're taking this very confusing, strange experience, you know, stressful experience, and we're, tr we're, we're trying to define it for somebody else, which just isn't our place to do as trans people. As trans people, we need to lift each other up and we need to listen to each other's experiences. And as queer people, we need to, we, we cannot tell other queer people what they are, or who they are, you know? Isn't that like the, the great rule of queerness is to believe people when they tell you who they are yeah and go with that you yeah. know like if a trans woman says that she's a trans woman that's it conversation is done she does not have to justify it to you right she doesn't owe you shit <laughs> she doesn't have to justify it to anybody i don't have to justify my identity to calvin guerra mm -hmm. i don't have to justify my identity to cisgender people Right. They're going to they're going to believe what they believe. They're going to think what they think. And I can't I can't define my identity based on what other people will understand. Mm. I, I love that. And good on you. <laughs> yeah. So so, 
you know, and back to our earlier conversation, I get to decide who knows what, right? right? Like I, and I will tell people what I think that they need to hear. And that's, that's to service them. Mm. But that doesn't change my identity. That doesn't affect who I am. If whatever my mom understands, right, about my identity right now, doesn't change or define who I am. It's just, it's just what she understands, you know? And I think we need to come to a point as a community where like, we really cannot define each other, you know, yeah. and, and it's just not an effective conversation. It's not meaningful. It's not productive, right, to to start defining other queer people. To be fighting amongst ourselves. Exactly. Like, and and it's, it's boring. It's <laughs> it's it's lame. It's it's and it's ultimately a bootlicking. Right. Yeah. Like it's ultimately serving the people that oppress us. Right. Because the the argument always ends up you're making us look bad, right? Mm. Calvin Garrett's argument against me or a gatekeeper's argument against me or a trans medicalist, their argument against me as a non-binary person is that I'm making trans people look bad. Yeah. To cis people or to society, right? I'm making us look bad because my identity is harder to understand. And that's ridiculous. That's, that's ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> Right. Because like all of our identities are hard to understand. And then, like, shouldn't we embrace that? Like, exactly. The, like the, the more the merit, like let's there. I made a, a TikTok a little while ago about micro labeling. And at the end, I said, for the love of God, stop caring about what cisgender straight people think. Yeah. Stop it. Yes. They don't matter. Like, like they matter to all the people, cis straight people who are listening. <laughs> like y'all matter. But like the idea that we have to shape ourselves and define ourselves in order to make cisgender straight people comfortable with us in order to get our rights or whatever is just not going to work. It's in, not going to work in order to fit into this heteronormative society. You know, that... and at, at the end of the day, Donald Trump took medical care away from all trans people. Mm. Donald Trump didn't care that Calvin Guerra is a model minority. Can, can you break that? Can we talk about that? So, so, okay. Are you, how, are you familiar with, with the details of it? Um, a little I'm bit. I'm a dumbass. I read an so, article and I go, so, I, I, right, so okay. Headline. So, so essentially, um, Donald Trump issued an executive order that allows doctors to refuse care mm. to transgender people. So if somebody, so if I go into an emergency room and I say that I'm trans, but that has nothing to do with what the emergency is. So I could you say, break your arm. I, I broke my arm. I can go into a doctor or into an emergency room and they can see that I'm on hormones or they can, or they can notice that, you know, I don't look like my driver's license or whatever. Mm. The doctor doesn't like trans people and says they don't want to care for me. They have that legal right to do that now. Whoa. Yeah. So, so that's essentially what the order is. And then and then what, that goes what's into the justification for it. I mean, you... the justification is freedom of uh, religion. Right. Oh, my God. So so doctors can legally refuse health care, refuse service to transgender people like Jesus wouldn't fix someone. Yeah, yeah, them. exactly. 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 <laughs> but um, so essentially so and that has wider reaching effects. So um, insurance companies can deny can legally 
not that they are right now, but they can technically, because of this executive order, legally deny a trans person hormones or surgery or whatever on this basis, on the this basis of this executive order that denies trans people medical care. Because they think it's not an essential surgery. Exactly, like, exactly. It's like getting Botox. Like Botox. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's there's any number of implications for this. Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, Trump doesn't hate trans people because non-binary people exist. Mm. Trump hates trans people because he hates trans people, mm-hmm. because he's transphobic. Yeah. He took medical care away from the model minority trans people. He took medical care away from the binary trans people. He took medical care away from the non-binary trans people. He does not give a shit. Mm. He does not care that Calvin Guerra, he didn't look at Calvin Guerra. I, I, I hate that I keep bringing Calvin Guerra up, but he's a good example of a gatekeeper <laughs> and a trans medicalist. He didn't look at Calvin Guerra and say, oh, Calvin Guerra is a model trans person. Calvin Guerra is what trans people are supposed to look like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him medical care. <laughs> no, he took, med- Donald Trump took medical care away from both of us. And, and I assume Calvin Guerra is kind of like a, a Trump supporter, or at least. I don't know. No? Okay. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he has worked with, um, I think her name is Blair White. She's a trans woman um, that is supportive of. Yeah, there's a TikTok account um, called the derogatory T word uh, for trans people. I think I saw your TikTok Trump. about that. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. That, yeah. That exists. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I invited them on <laughs> on to do the podcast because I'm genuinely you're funny. curious. You're funny. I wouldn't even give them a platform. I, I I understand that. I don't think that I don't think that. Oof, I don't know. I could get into that, but <laughs> I also realized after I made that they're they're very young. Yeah, and I'm like that's another thing. That's another maybe thing. Leave that. That's another thing. Gatekeepers are always really young. Yeah. Gatekeepers are always sorry. I clapped. That's gonna hurt you when no, you're editing this. <laughs> Um, but that's another thing is gatekeepers are inherently young. I've noticed, I've noticed that gatekeepers haven't been in the queer community for a really long time. Mm. Um, and I feel like a lot of people who are very, very passionate about gatekeeping the queer community are also like high schoolers, you know, they're young, they're, they're very sensitive about their identity you know, the high school mentality is everything in the world affects you. Mm-hmm. Everybody around you affects you and, you know, is either helping you or hurting you. They're for or against. They're for yeah. or against you. They can't just exist outside of you, right? So if somebody is coming out as bisexual, for example, that's an identity that's gatekeeped a lot, is bisexual. They might see an omnisexual person and feel personally attacked mm-hmm. because omnisexual kind of sounds like bisexual and... They feel like if somebody identifies as omnisexual, that might confuse the bisexual narrative. So they feel personally attacked by it. When in reality, omnisexuals can exist outside of bisexuals. There's room enough in the queer community for omnisexuals and bisexuals. There's room enough in the trans community for non-binary people and trans and binary trans people, right? Yeah. Like. <laughs> there's room for everyone. There's room. There's no, like, there's no, um uh limit for the count of people right so the fact that you know they feel personally attacked by some random person on the internet you know is it comes from a place of low self-esteem and and really 
just coming into your identity, of course, you're going to have a lower self-esteem. Of course, you're going to have a lot of fears and doubts. And anybody's identity that's different than yours is going to fuel that doubt, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Until you reach a place where other queer people can exist in the same world as you without negatively or positively affecting you, right? You know, there's room enough. And so I think that gatekeeping comes from um, an ideology that is is very high school. It's very, you know, policing and we don't like the police. So like <laughs> it. So policing identity is just it's, I feel like there's just got to be no place for it. Right. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that we're even talking about it is kind of annoying. Like it's, it's like, what are you all doing? And I think also that comes up on TikTok, too, because guess who's on TikTok? Young people. Young people, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, the discourse is the same as, you know, Tumblr discourse in 2014, right? Mm-hmm. I, I see the same tropes popping up. And it's because it's young people, you know, it's young people coming into their identities, learning more about themselves. And so they, you know, feel very strongly about protecting their identity when in reality, like, there's no one you really need to protect your identity from except cisgender people, right? Cisgender or transphobic people, homophobic people, right? Yeah. You know, you need to protect your identity from them, but you're not going to achieve protection by shitting on other queer people, right? <laughs> you know? It sends us backwards, for God's sake. Exactly. I think it does. And I think it's 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 just inherently hurtful, right? I oh, think, sure. you know, Calvin Garris rhetoric, transmedicalist rhetoric, gatekeeping rhetoric is it's just hurtful. You know, at the end of the day, it's just hurtful to other queer people for no reason. What what are your thoughts on because it's it's very interesting the studies that are coming out now on younger people transitioning under 18, mm-hmm. people as young as as 10 years old mm-hmm. going to their parents and, and wanting to get on hormones or, or, or younger these things. What younger, four and five. Even younger, yeah. yeah. What but so, here's the here's the problem is that the, there's a problem. There's a problem. What's the problem? There's a problem. Tell me the is problem. that later, as as studies are coming out and as yeah. as we've been doing this for a few years now, they decide later down the road that they they made the mis- they made a mistake. Detransitioning. Yes. Okay, so and, let me let me break it down for yeah. you. So I actually did a paper on this. Um, okay, I actually <laughs> um I did a not a bunch of research. Don't get me wrong. I but I like I said I, I was. I graduated with a degree in social work and I have put my master's program on hold for now, but I have taken some master's courses. So that's my that's my experience. But I, I have had a specific focus in gender dysphoria and stuff like that. So there's rhetoric now that more and more young, young people are coming out as transgender or specifically young gender girls. It's specifically disproportionately young girls. By so, born girls. <laughs> so, um, this uh, this particular study, I wish I could remember the name. So, there's a particular study, and and it was um, rapid onset gender dysphoria. So, a term coined again by a cisgender person. <laughs> a cisgender person, a cisgender doctor, was getting a lot of parents, parents, cisgender parents. I'm gonna have fun editing. Yeah, so so a cisgender doctor was getting a lot of, this is where the study comes from, was getting a lot of cisgender parents coming to him and saying that their biological daughters identified as non-binary or genderqueer or trans, right? And so he wrote a paper, and then this is the paper that 
you're talking about, Mm -hmm. the study that you're talking about, dissecting the idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria, gender dysphoria that seemingly comes out of nowhere. And all of the reports of this rapid onset gender dysphoria are from parents of trans people. So so they're not from patients that are experiencing so-called rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's from the parents. And what happens when somebody comes out? That's the first the parents are hearing about it. Mm -hmm. So of course it's rapid to them. Of course it's rapid to the parents. Of course it's rapid to the people around them. But these, you know, young trans people, maybe it's been apparent to them for way longer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way we can know because the study, the study that all of these other studies are coming out, you know, from this one study, didn't even talk to the trans people that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. They were talking to the parents. Right. So, so this mass hysteria about so many people coming out as trans now, it's just that. Well, it's, that, that's not the issue is coming out. The, the issue that at least I'm aware of and trying to consciously think about is the issue of, of a young person deciding to come out as trans. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, maybe they really are great. But for other reasons, they might be feel inclined to do that. They might I think look that, up to people online. And so, so, okay, so you're suggesting that... I understand the discourse you're talking about. You're talking about like J.K. Rowling's discourse and like the the idea that there's more trans people coming out now than ever. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because like what I'm thinking, like what we don't want to happen is a 13 year old girl decides that that they are trans. They decide it. That's that's great. And, and we give them a binder and everything. And then it, later down the road at 20 years old they decide they made the wrong decision and but now they fucked up their chest they fucked up their 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 stuff i think that's coming from a transphobic narrative is it i think that that's really um a turfy transmedicalist narrative Mm -hmm. i don't think so you're talking about a lot of things you're talking about more than you think that you're talking about so (laughs) so so there's one thing and that's childhood gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. which there is a place in the dsm-5 that specifies childhood gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. and that is a diagnosis and that happens in children as young as two or three years old or as old as you know as soon as they start talking Mm -hmm. and that's not the narrative that transphobic people or turfs might want to say is that it's that it's a child pretending to be a girl and then it's taken too seriously. Mm. And then they're immediately go to surgery and hormones. Let me explain to you a little bit about, sorry, I don't want to like, no, um, no, you're good. But I, I need to redirect this immediately yeah. because. And I'm so, just trying to learn too. Like I, I read so it's not, me. it's not that it's never that when, when you, when you, when you have a transgender child, that is a child that is consistently, consistently, saying that they are a girl. So say it's a biological boy, right? A biological assigned male at birth child that that is a woman or is that a, a girl, right? That that transgender girl isn't just one day said, "Oh, I want to be a girl today." She is saying, "I'm going to kill myself if mm-hmm. I'm not a girl." Right. I she is crying when her parents put her in boy clothes. And not just for a week, not just for six months, consistently for years, 
for years. She's playing with girls. She likes to play. So there's a list of things in the DSM-5 that that are requirements for gender dysphoria in children. And that's things like consistently playing with more girls than boys, Mm -hmm. consistently asking for to be referred to as a girl, wanting to go by a girl's name, rejecting, you know, male clothing, rejecting um, being called a boy, you know, Mm -hmm. wanting to grow out your hair. And these are consistent feelings for for months and months. The requirement in the DSM-5 is six months of display, Mm -hmm. consistent. And it gets to the point, it's not um, a little boy that wants to wear a dress, right? It's it's a little trans girl that that wants to be a girl who and expresses that explicitly multiple, multiple times for months and years, yeah. right? And they're not transitioning. So so then the parents decide, okay my child is showing extreme distress and this is extreme distress. This is suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. This is Mm self-harm, you know, in young, young children. Right. And so parents decide they want their kid is showing, showing so much distress at being assigned male that they're going to let her be a girl. Right. And this is not, this is not physical. This is not medical. Mm -hmm. This is letting her grow out her hair, Mm -hmm. changing her name at school, not legally, not legally changing her name, changing her name at school, calling her a different name, letting her wear dresses. They might switch schools, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so that there's just no question. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of bullying that comes with it as well. And then, and these are not irreversible changes. Irreversible changes do not happen in three and four year olds social changes happen in three and four year olds. And that is for the direct safety of these children. Yeah. Because they're showing explicit signs of distress at their gender identity. Mm -hmm. And that's all great. I'm totally on board with that. So that is the cases. That's, that's young children. That's, that's the case. It's not, it's never, never is a, a, a boy that wants to wear dresses or a, a girl that just likes hiking or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very explicit gender dysphoria and it's, and it's displayed in a distressing way. So these parents who are letting their children transition, I think the word transition is often associated with medical and mm-hmm. irreversible changes. They're not irreversible. They're very reversible changes. And then you get into what you're talking about. So what you're talking about, now is somebody who is about to hit puberty. Mm-hmm. So 11, 10, 12, 13, right? They're in that middle school awkward phase. Yeah, right? So, and they're starting to hit puberty. This is where, you know, they've, they, puberty is a time where a lot of trans people realize that they're trans. Mm-hmm. So this is a, it's, it's um, gender dysphoria in adolescence, right? It's very much puberty is an onset of dysphoria because puberty is what causes a lot of gender marking changes, Mm -hmm. right? So if a child, you know, is transgender and they've, they've socially transitioned, what they have the option to go on is something called hormone blockers. Mm -hmm. And hormone blockers are a, it is a medical prescription, right? given not lightly again it is given for a specific diagnosis of gender dysphoria right and it is administered like hormones however hormone blockers do not cause are not shown 
to cause irreparable damage. Mm. It delays the process of puberty. Okay. So what hormones do, hormone blockers, they just block puberty. So you don't go through puberty until you decide to, right? Right. So, so you take them off. Exactly. Yeah. So, and this is, again, a very serious decision, not made solely by the child. This is not something where a 13-year-old comes to their parents and says, I want to go on hormone blockers, please and thank you. And mm -hmm. then they get on hormone blockers the next day. Sure. This, is, this is somebody who is presenting with distressing gender dysphoria for a consistent amount of time. Mm -hmm. And the decision is made by the child, by the parents, and by a physician, right? It's a prescription. Sure. You're not buying this on Amazon, you know? <laughs> so so, so there's that. So I think that there, there's a, a narrative that that happens faster than it does, that it happens without, you know, medical professionals involved, right? And that it's irreversible. It's Hormone blockers are not irreversible. Mm -hmm. Then we get into, so, so hormone blockers, if, you decide at age 18. I think some states you can decide at 16, some states you can decide at 18. You can decide to go off hormone blockers and just go through puberty. Like maybe, you know, as a child, you, you know, experience gender dysphoria, but as a, you know, when you get older, you change your mind. Mm. It's very uncommon, you know, it's yeah. very uncommon to change your mind at that point. But, but if you don't change your mind and you still identify as transgender, then you can go on hormone replacement and then start the puberty process mm -hmm. at 18. And that's the medical So And that's process. the medical transition process. And that's at 16 or 18. Mm -hmm. That's at an age where, and this is not even people who just come out at 16. These are people who came out when they were three or four, right. when they were 10, right? These are people who have had medical professionals involved in their transition, right? So it's never, it's never the narrative that you're, talking about the discussion is very it shows a very um insignificant understanding of mm -hmm. what transition looks like in young people and that's why i'm glad yeah. you just, you just so, cleared it up in 15 minutes yeah exactly so it's very much not the narrative that you know the transphobic narrative that you know these kids are just coming out and then they make irreversible changes within months of coming out no, mm. it's they're making irreversible changes within years of coming out mm. with the with the active involvement of parents, family support systems and medical professionals. It is never it is never just this kid decides to be a boy one day and then they're immediately granted access to all these irreversible changes. Right. right. These are consistent, consistent need for a gender confirmation. Right. Mm. And so then you have this study, rapid onset gender dysphoria, happening mostly in biological females who are surrounded by other, you know, biological females who, you know, also identify as genderqueer, gender nonconforming. That's a separate narrative. That's not, that's a, I want to call it a distraction. I want to call it a distracting narrative. I want to call it a turf, a uh, trans exclusionary radical feminism, you know, mm -hmm. like, because it's just a talking point. It, it's not it, It's not peer reviewed. It's not clinically proven. It's just this one study that, you know, transphobic people latched onto yeah. in order to, you know, discredit trans people, right? And 
I think that, you know, that's real. I think that that experience, you know, a lot of biologically female people, you know, are more, it's more socially acceptable for them to experiment with their gender identities. And with the internet, you know, there's all kinds of identities that are being talked about and discussed. And, you know, there's, and, and they experiment with their identities. They wear a binder. A binder doesn't cause damage. The, a binder doesn't cause nearly as much damage as people want to say. You know, okay. but it, it can to young people or what is the no, level of it? not no. necessarily, no. you know, a binder. So there's ways of binding that are damaging. So like ace bandages, tape, stuff like that. That's not, you know, good. That's not good for breast tissue and stuff. Mm. But binding safely, like binding eight hours a day, less than eight hours a day with a real binder. Right. Does not is not proven clinically proven to show any extreme distress to breasts mm. or to breast tissue sure. so that's also a misnomer yeah. you know so but back to the point that you know this idea of young uh assigned female at birth people just sprouting up with gender uh non-conformity right mm -hmm. i think that that's real i think that that exists but i think that there's a place for it mm -hmm. i don't think that that's you know i don't think it should be used as a narrative against trans people because it's just young people are allowed to experiment with their gender. And I think young people are it is more acceptable for young people to experiment with their gender now. And so and that's scary. Right. right like that's sure. scary. And so and that's scary for cis people. That's scary for parents. That's scary for the person who wrote this paper. You know, yeah. that's scary for doctors. Right. But. And, and also at the end of the day, society is becoming more accepting of transgender identities, non-binary identities. So of course more people are going to come out as gender non-conforming and non-binary and trans. You know, I read, <laughs> yeah. a, there was a paper I read recently about, and it was critiquing um, rapid onset gender non gen, sorry, rapid onset gender dysphoria. And it was saying that, yes, there has been an increase in transgender adolescence. There has been an increase in young gender nonconforming and trans people. And, and they showed this by doing a study of different gender clinics mm. in different areas um, in different countries. And every single gender clinic showed a spike wow. um, in, in, different countries too. in different countries, Western countries. Western, this was yeah. so Western countries showed a spike within the past 10 years have been their cases have been growing. Why have they been growing, though? Because Society is more accepting of trans people. Sure. There's more trans people in the narrative now. So mm -hmm. it's not like trans people are just, it's not like, you know, people are becoming trans mm -hmm. because of some strange phenomenon. The phenomenon is not strange. The phenomenon is more accepting of trans people. So <laughs> trans people are coming out more, you know, and young people are coming out more. And because they're seeing this acceptance and they're realizing that about themselves, you know, trans people in the media are not turning kids trans mm -hmm. they're letting kids who are already trans be able to define themselves sooner and be able to recognize themselves sooner and they're also allowing parents to be able to give those you know that accepting and those resources that acceptance and those resources to these their children and be accepting so of course there is a spike in adolescent gender dysphoria because there's a more success accepting society 
right. for gender dysphoria. There's more gender clinics. There's more, you know, resources for parents and children who have gender dysphoria. It's not that, you know, kids are just being turned trans. It's just like, you know, there's more gay people now yeah. than there was in the 50s <laughs> because we're not getting murdered for being gay anymore, <laughs> exactly. right? Like we can walk down the street. Exactly. With a so and that's not saying <laughs> that people are just turning gay more. It's saying that people are more accepted and that they're they're it's allowed they're allowed to be gay. It's yeah. not like there wasn't as many gay people in the 50s. They were just closeted, right? right. And they were just living a lie, right? Yeah. And now it's not like there's more transgender children. They were transgender children are just allowed to be transgender now. Revealing you know, right? Yeah. Like they're and they're able and they have the resources to reveal themselves and they have the narrative to say that they are trans. They have the words to define it, right? You know, like if I had the term genderqueer when I was, you know, five, of course I probably would have identified as genderqueer earlier. Yeah. And that's not because that's not because, you know, we're turning kids genderqueer. It's because you would have had we're more there's a different word for it, you, you know. You would have had something that made sense to you exactly. at a younger age. It's that, not like it's that not like exist yeah. when we were five. <laughs> exactly. It's not like those feelings those feelings were, you know, we're always there. We turn on the TV and we never, we didn't have any. Exactly. No queer representation, like in the slightest on, on TV. Maybe there was like, I mean, my first big feeling of representation was Modern Family for a gay person. Yeah. That was the first time I remember like, oh my gosh, like a big, huge network sitcom. Oh, and the gay guy in that kind of looks like you too. Uh, he? Mitch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> say that sometimes. Did you know that the guy who plays Mitch is gay? Yeah. Yeah, the guy but the guy who plays Cam is not. Is not gay, but he knocks out the park. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, he does. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. So no, totally. If we had more of that representation, more of that 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 what not publicity, but I guess publicity. Exposure. Exposure is the right word. Yeah. To mainstream in, media. In our media, we would definitely have a, a better grasp of it. Yeah, and of course it. there's a spike. Yeah. Because they're seeing us now. Yeah. Right. Because, of course more trans people are presenting to gender clinics because they have the gender clinics now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's what this paper ultimately said. And and I think that, you know, every narrative that tries to sensationalize um, or, or uh, it's a fear tactic, right? Mm. It's, it's, oh no, young women are, are starting to experiment with their gender identities. Oh no, what are we going to do? <laughs> You know, oh, it's and then they create narratives like binders are harmful or they're making irreversible changes that they can't make. No, <laughs> no, they're not. Binders are not inherently harmful. You know, and a girl can wear a binder for a few years and she'll be fine. Right. right. Well, like I, I have no knowledge about binders, so I'm I'm trusting your word. I'll explain to you. I've been wearing binders for my for since high school. Right. Yeah. Binders are not inherently harmful. They're not. Uh, if you they can be, if you, you know, properly if, if you're wearing the wrong size, if you're wearing them for too long. And, you know, I have my share of, you know, we can get into, you know, binder stories and stuff like that. But like, or if you're ace bandaging, if you're wearing, you know, two or three binders, you know, at yeah. once, yeah, that can get harmful. But a binder itself is invented so you can safely flatten your chest, right? So, <laughs> so, so a lot of it is fear mongering. A lot of it is, you know, trying to 
quell the transgender movement mm. by these conversations. And so I think that, you know, it's important that you bring that up, but it's also really important that I shut that down real fast, we right? Know. Yeah. That, that, that those are all distractions, right? Those are all, you know, they're trying to find every wrong thing, every scary thing. Young people are, you know, becoming trans. No, yeah, there is a spike in transgender identities, but that's not because they're becoming trans. That's right. because they are trans and they're able to ex express that better and they have the tools to do that better. And like, there is a percentage of detransitioned people, people who have transitioned, but that percent is less than 1% of trans people. Oh, wow. That's less than 1% of trans people. And, and it's also, you know, when you get into specific cases it's trans people who didn't go through the proper channels to transition they didn't have a physician they just you know got you know did informed consent and they didn't um you know have counseling they they you know and this is all one percent of trans people who detransition right and some people detransition for you know completely different reasons like you know they don't feel accepted by their family or their job or whatever some people detransition because you know they have medical problems they, and that's all included in that one percent right? Right, right of of people who detransition because they're not responding well medically to hormones or to you know and that has nothing to do with their identity so the idea of it being a a mistake to transition. Yeah, a problem. Very, very small, under it's, 1%. It's, yeah, it's it's a small percent, and it's, again, used as a fear tactic against transgender identities, yeah. right? Yeah, the the idea that detransitioning is a fear, like, and that's a fear that my mom had. My mom was like, don't make all these decisions, and you'll regret it in the future. Like, I've known this about myself for five years, right? I've known this about myself since high school, right? Mm -hmm. I just started hormones. Mm -hmm. I I just started hormones and I've known this about myself for five years. I've thought about this for five years and I know this about myself and I feel it inherently, right? And so, and that's enough, right? And it's not, so it's not something that just on, it's not like getting a drunk and getting a tattoo, right? It's, but, but you're also <laughs> 22, if, like, yeah. to go off the argument. like. <laughs> Like, yeah, no I'm one, 22. No one, have a pro no one has a problem with with 22 year olds transitioning. Exactly, yeah. and also like I'm going through the proper channels. I'm going to counseling. I'm going to a physician. I have a medical team that I, you know, yeah. like I, I'm when I get top surgery. I'm going. I'm doing my research even now, and I'm probably not going to get top surgery for like a year. Like, this isn't like an <laughs> overnight making a decision kind of thing that they want you to think. They want you to think that being trans is a you know, a drunken decision you can make while out partying to go on hormones, right? When it's just, that's just not the case. That's just not the case. You know, there are irreversible things that you can do. You know, hormones, especially uh, testosterone, makes irreversible changes. There's irreversible changes that is, are going to happen to me, you know, that even if I go off testosterone, they will not go away. You know, my voice will be deeper forever. My, you know, my hair growth will be forever, you know, stuff like that. That is irreversible but not to the degree that they want you to believe, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's also the really drastic stuff, the top surgeries, the bottom surgeries, you know, that stuff is irreversible, but it's also not a decision made lightly and it's not a decision made within 
a few months or a few days. It's not a decision. It's a medical decision. It is a, there's a vast medical team. There's therapy, there's psychology involved. There's letters, there's, you know, consistent signs of gender dysphoria, all of that stuff. Sure. What, what did you do to work through your, your mom's concerns about transitioning? How were you able to, I mean, obviously you're adults, you can make your own decisions, but yeah. like, how were you able to kind of talk to her and walk her through your decision? So for a long time, I really wanted to walk her through every step, but I knew that recently I kind of knew that I wanted to start my transition sooner than she was going to be ready for it. Mm. And I think I came to the conclusion that I need to put myself first and my transition first, and she's going to have to just catch up. Mm. And I think that's something that a lot of queer people have to come to terms with is that their parents are just not going to go as fast as you want to go. And yeah. they're just not going to catch up as fast. And I think now I'm still very much in that process with my mom and my family of walking them through the steps. But at the same time, I don't particularly feel responsible for walking them through it. I think that, you know, if they have questions, I'll answer them. I've had several long conversations with my mom about this. She didn't want me to go on testosterone. When I went on testosterone, there was a little while where I was on testosterone and I just didn't tell her that I was on testosterone just because I needed to get started and she needed, she, she's going to figure out what she's, she's, a, she's an adult. She, she can figure it out. She's going to figure it out as she does. And she's going to involve, you know, she's going to be as involved as she wants to be. She told me recently that um, she doesn't want me to get top surgery very soon. She wants me to wait until I'm like 20, 37 or something. You know, she wants me to wait for a really long time. And I just told her, I was like, you are just going to have to get on board when you get on board. And if that's, you know, if you get on board by the time I get top surgery and you're totally on board and you're ready to take care of me, sure. But if I'll, I will let you be on board, but if you're not on board by the time I'm ready to get top surgery, I'm sorry, I'm getting top surgery anyway. You know, I'm get, I'm on hormones anyway. Like yeah. there's, there's a point where, you know, I just have to free myself of the burden of having her accepting me every step of the way. Right. And she can, she's going to catch up. Right. She's, and, and I think that, you know, I, I, and I think I have enough empathy to let her catch up and to, you know, sometimes I think trans people, they're just like, I'm cutting them off. Mm. I'm, I'm escaping my family forever because they don't accept me right now. And then, you know, and, and, they they don't give them any time and i think that that's you know of course every trans person has the right to do whatever they need with their family right but i think that sometimes we just need to give our parents a little bit of time and then also on the other side of the spectrum is what i was doing for a long time was i really wanted her to be on board before i did anything right mm -hmm. and and i really wanted her to understand and and know and understand every part of the process just so she could feel better but that's serving her and that's serving her feelings over my feelings. Right. And so I, I think we all have to find a happy medium with our parents um, and with our families and with the or with the people who don't necessarily understand. I'm not saying unaccepting people. And we just need to do what we need to do for ourselves, 
explain when we need to explain, explain when they have questions, be understanding, but also recognize that they don't have to be where I am at mm. right now. Yeah. They'll get there. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will. You know, like my dad is a little bit more kind of hands off. My dad's very much of the mindset that like you're going to do what you need to do. Right. And you know yourself better than than I know you. And and my mom's a little bit more like I want to be a part of the process. I want to understand. I want to understand the feelings that you're having. But I think that, you know, cis people are really never going to understand the feelings that I'm having. You know, and I don't think that you need to understand them. Yeah. I think that you just need to listen to me and recognize that I know myself I know what I need I know now that I I'm doing what I need to do to feel better in my body and myself and I think that you know my mom will catch up yeah (laughs) it's the same thing I mean a a little different but for gay people (laughs) it's the same thing when they are trying to learn acceptance yeah Um, I mean it took months for my mom to like to be able to bring up like, oh, I'm seeing a boy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know? so you got to give them their time. You, I think that there's room to give people time. I think that there's a difference between outright transphobia, not acceptance, and and just people who don't understand or they're just not going to get it. Like, think about it. Like, my mom, you know, referred to me as a girl for 22 years, right? Yeah. So that's not going to change overnight, right? there's that's a process I need to give her time for that but I'm also not going to allow I'm not going to let her I'm not going to be where she's at you know I'm not going to hold myself back because if I was if I was you know trying to get her if if I was walking at her pace if I was going at her pace Mm -hmm. I wouldn't transition until I was like 30 you know right um or or later you know or I wouldn't transition at all right I I can't serve her that much Mm -hmm. I have to make the decisions I need to make and she'll catch up. It's, you know, a lot of times, I mean, definitely there's homophobic parents, but a lot of times it's coming from a place of love. Oh yeah. They're they're carefree. I mean, it Because imagine this, like I always, I thought of this recently when I was talking to someone on live, but it was like, imagine your dad comes out as gay. Yeah. Like today. Yeah. Divorces your mom. Like obviously you still love your dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a little different. Yeah. You you got to figure it out. You got used you got to get used to this new dad or like yeah. you had this dad for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. You knew, but now you like, yeah. And, yeah. and it's definitely something like, um, I think with my mom, it comes from a very fearful place, like especially transitioning. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fear that, you know, your child is going to have to go through invasive surgery and, um, or I don't know if it's invasive. Uh, we'll say it's invasive, whatever. It has to go through intense surgery, intense changes, psychological changes. You know, she worries. She worries for my acceptance. She worries. And that's not a place of hating me for being trans. Mm-hmm. That's from a place of being scared for me. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm scared too. Fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course I'm terrified. Right. So I can't take on her fears. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't have my own fears and also entertain her fears, right? Yeah. So like she's afraid that um one th- just for example, she's afraid that I um will never find somebody who loves me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because in her mind being transgender is so crazy that no one will love me or that no one no cis person will love me. Mm-hmm. No ideal mate will love me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a fear that she has, and that's a fear that I can't help. 
I cannot help that fear. Sure. I don't know how to help. Her. I can tell her that trans people are lovable. I can tell her that um, I will find someone that I love. I can tell her all of these beautiful, lovely things that are true, that trans people are lovable, that trans people can date cis people, trans people can date other trans people and have healthy, normal, happy relationships. I can tell her all of that. Yeah. But that's, I can't quell that fear. There's no way that I can help that fear. And it's not, and, and yeah, that's a fear that I've had before. Of course, being trans, you have self-doubt and you feel like you'll never be lovable. But uh, I'm not necessarily like, that's not a defining, that's not scary enough that, for me not to transition, yeah, right? Yeah, that's not going to prevent you from being yourself. Like, exactly. Much exactly. better be happy as, as yeah. yourself. And also at the end of the day, like I don't necessarily, I, I don't reject the idea of dating. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I will date in the future, but I'm not, that's not really like, that's never been my driving factor. That's never been something that I felt extremely strongly about. Um, I have dated and I will date in the future and I probably will fall in love and fall out of love, whatever. <laughs> but it's not really like, I, I don't really particularly feel lonely. Um, for anybody interested in dating me, I don't really particularly feel strongly about dating. Um, it'll happen when it happens. But that's just me personally. I don't feel like, you know, that's a big fear of mine. Sure. But uh, so, but I can't carry on her fear, right? No, no way. That's so, not your responsibility. So exactly. So, and I think a lot of trans people, you have to figure out, we have to figure out like, what's my fear and what's my parents' fear, mm. right? And what fears can I take on? And what fears can I, do I just need to let them figure out? Yeah. And let them deal with, right? Yeah. And that's one of the fears that I just need to let her deal with. She's afraid of um, my surgery. She's really afraid of me getting top surgery. And that's just a fear that I can't handle from her because I have very deep fears of top surgery. I'm so scared of top surgery. Let me tell you, I faint at the sight of my own blood. Mm. I fucking <laughs> surgery scares the shit out of me. But that, so that's a fear that I have to deal with. So I cannot deal with her fear, right? right? I don't need this, mom. <laughs> like, like, I don't need that. I know that I want top surgery, right? I know that that's going to happen in the future. It's like you're going through like, this scary thing <laughs> that scares the shit out of you. Exactly. Like, I don't need to carry on her fears, right? Like, and that's, that's a whole different topic we could get into about how, you know, this idea. My mom has said, uh, cis people have said that if you're afraid of being trans, if you're afraid of surgery, you shouldn't get it. Mm. It's like... No. The, the thing is, like, that's a narrative that Calvin Guerra would say, like, if I'm afraid of getting tr top surgery, then I shouldn't get top surgery or I'm not really trans. Right. Fucking surgery scary. Uh, surgery. If, if you're not afraid of getting top surgery, you don't understand the weight of top surgery. You don't yeah. understand how significant top surgery is. Right. And I just think that there's no room for trans people to, like, express doubt or express fear. Right. Because it's such a drastic thing that we cannot be afraid of it, right? If you're you're willing to go through it, obviously yeah. shows how much you care. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like I kind of am sus of trans people who aren't scared, right? <laughs> like, um, you know, and but I think for certain cis people, there's this narrative that I have to tell my mom I'm not scared. I'm not scared of top surgery. I've wanted it for my entire life, you know? Mm. When in reality, like, yeah, it's fucking scary. Like, going under is scary. The recovery process is scary. The pain, I have zero pain tolerance. I, I, I have no pain tolerance, right? So the idea of going through something extremely painful Ah, like it's like scary I you and you like yeah you. like i have no pain like i have several tattoos and yeah. people are like oh tattoos are like a no they fucking hurt nah. they're really terrible and i hate them like 
I, I hate, I have no pain tolerance. Like, and so, so I am allowed to be afraid of top surgery. That doesn't mean that I can't have it. That doesn't mean that I'm not trans. It just means that I'm a person exactly. that's scared of it surgery. Has feelings and has fears. <laughs> and I think trans people were so put in this box that we're not allowed to be afraid. We're not allowed to have doubts. When self-doubt is the main thing that is gender dysphoria is doubting yourself and doubting your identity and doubting what the way that people perceive you like gender dysphoria is looking in a mirror and being like this body ain't it right like and that's doubt and that's self-doubt so like there's just this really difficult struggle and pressure for trans people right to to fit into a beautiful little narrative to make cis people comfortable when that ain't it right like that that just ain't it no it's not it, <laughs> it's not it. <laughs> it's, there's so much more nuance to that yeah um what advice would you give to your younger self if you were listening oh my gosh um like my younger geez trust yourself like tr trust yourself know that you're right Know that you you are right. You're right about yourself. You know yourself better than everybody else knows you. You know, like, I probably, sometimes I think that I would, you know, go back and tell my younger self not to post anything online. Don't go on true life, yeah. right? But that defines me now, right? Like that, you know, that's, some, that's something crazy that happened in my life. I was on national television when I was 17 yeah. and I came out, right? Like At a time when, again, genderqueer wasn't really a, Exactly. So a like that thing. was extremely bold. And did I do it the right way? No. Did I like how the MTV show turned out? I don't know if, you know, I'm legally allowed to say anything other than it was amazing. But like, <laughs> I don't know if their narrative was really my narrative or whatever they wanted to portray, you know. Would I do it differently? Probably, probably would do it differently. I defined my gender a little bit differently back then. But I that's think- That's normal, we're always changing. That's the thing, we're always there's like, also like, that's another thing that there's no room for trans people to change their yeah, mind, right? Yeah. There's there's no room for trans people to be unsure or to develop. Like there's one thing that I joke about with my other queer friends is like, don't, don't tell the cisgender people. Don't tell the straight people that we can change. Like, <laughs> don't tell them that that identity is fluid and that we don't always have to know for our entire lives that we're gay or that we're trans or whatever. Like, you know, like you can wake up one day and be like, yeah, the feelings that I've been feeling, that's trans. Mm. And that's like that's a lot. Like there's room for that, right? Yeah. But not to the not to the cis straights. Don't tell them. <laughs> don't let them know. They don't get our you secret. Know? <laughs> yeah. Like there's way more nuance. Like the born this way I ideology, right, is is good for cis people to understand gay people, right? But like among other queer people, we know that, you know, gender is fluid and, and identity is fluid and, and things change as you grow and as you develop and as you meet new people and learn new things. Like there is room for development, right? But not necessarily to cis straight people, right? <laughs> But I think that that's inherently liberating for cis straight people too, right? Like cis straight people, you know, I think that it would be very healthy for them to question their identity and and question their and if and if you go and you question your identity and you and you think about gender as a concept and you you know look in the mirror and you still come out at the end of the day straight and cisgender, like I think that you know you still benefit from you know 
opening your mind to the idea that gender is not a set in stone kind of thing and identity is not ever set in stone, right? Yeah. Um, I have a cisgendered straight friend that's a boy. He sucked two dicks. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Ew. No, he did. Yeah, he told and- me. When I came out, he told me. And I was like, well, I had no idea. He's like, yeah, I just did it because I was wanted to see what it was And like. that's allowed. Like, there's yeah. a place for that, right? Now he's getting married to a girl. I'm going to his wedding. Ew. <laughs> Ew. You're going to a straight wedding? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, my gosh. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But, yeah, I think that there's room for that. And and as queer people become liberated and, and expressed you know, more in the media and whatever, I think that that allows straight people and cis people and all people to be a little bit, relax a little bit, chill a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't, you know, and I think that that can be liberating, right? That can be liberating to all people, right? Oh, for sure. The concept of fluidity. Yeah, the concept that you don't have to figure yourself out at 17 years old and have a defined identity for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't can stay in that box. Like you you don't there's no box. You don't have to stay in anything. You don't have to you don't have to stick to what you were, you know, when you were 17, right? That's your that's your advice. <laughs> <laughs> don't stick to anything. Long story short, um it's okay. Don't worry. Trust yourself. You know what you know what you're about right now and and there's room for change. There is room for self-doubt. There's room for fear and and you'll figure it out, you know? Beautiful. You're, you're still figuring it out, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every day. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I've become a lot more relaxed about my identity over the time. and. I got very uninterested. Actually, never mind. I, I can't. I, are you, what I are you about I to say? Uninterested in, I thought I was un- uninterested in boys. And then, remember, yesterday I was sexting one. So, never mind. I'm not uninterested. <laughs> I think it was for like an hour. Right, you know, I don't know. I was like, Can we up. announce your OnlyFans? Oh, yes. By the way, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, tomorrow, which is 8-11, an OnlyFans just dropped. Oh, wait. No. When Dana, are they going to listen to Dana's this? Dana's is going up tomorrow. Yeah. There's been an OnlyFans up for a week now. So <laughs> go ahead and check it out. Yeah. Ryan has an OnlyFans, which I think is super funny. I'm going to teach you how to suck dick. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. I, I don't know. That's so funny to me. I'm I'm also like deeply un it's I think the queer community is so interesting because we're so okay with sexuality. We're because like being queer is inherently, you know, has to do with sexuality and stuff. That we're so okay with it that people in like queer communities like the conversation we were having yesterday, it was just so funny because like we were totally okay with just be like how do you bottom? Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, like, and like, like three people were like, oh, this is how you do it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, to explain to the podcasters is um, we were having a conversation with a group of queer people and um, we were just totally okay with talking about sexuality and stuff. I think that's so funny because I'm not a very sexual person. Like I, I'm probably the least, I, I, I really don't feel strongly about sexuality very much. But also um, transgender is completely different. Oh yeah, it's it's totally it's, different. It's so totally it's different so it's so it's funny. Yeah. Um, and and I think people also like they'll they'll be like, okay, so you know what your gender identity is? What's your sexuality? Oh fucking no, <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go along. Like I'm pretty sure like I'm not into you know I I like I I think I'm attracted to trans people, but I think that's mostly like because I want somebody who has the same experience as me. Mm. But also, like, I think sex is, like, cringy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think... Talk, like, like, I have to get over it. But um, it's just really funny. Like, a lot of my friends have called me, like, asexual before. I don't think I'm asexual. I have sexual attraction to people. Mm. Um, 
but like I just like it's just so funny I think that sex is sex talk on like a casual level is just really funny to me and it it just catches me off guard every time (laughs) because in queer communities especially you'll go from talking about like you know just the most normal business conversation and then it will be like oh but anyway so I pegged people when I was like (laughs) When, when I was like in my slut phase, That's I pegged literally people. That's what happened <laughs> yeah. on the call. She, uh, he's quoting someone. Yeah, like, not to, not to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna name names. <laughs> not to name names, but like, and it's just so funny. I, I think that you know, sex talk is so funny, and um. That's why. That's why we like make the stallion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, I don't know. If you have more questions. Well, we've talked for an hour and a half. Oh my gosh, you're gonna have so much fun editing this. This is is great. Thanks, thanks for doing this. Yeah, Uh, do you want to drop your your socials again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm at Spider Bren, um, S P I D E R B R E N, um, on TikTok and everywhere else. I'm just Brennan Beckwith, and that's B R E N N E N B E C K W I T H. Um, I have a YouTube channel, um, where I'm gonna start doing commentary, uh, stuff like that. I, my TikTok is, you know, all over the board, queer stuff, commentary, nerd culture, uh, stuff like that. I, l- I really, really like Marvel movies. I talk about Marvel movies a lot. And my Instagram is Brennan Beckwith. And um, yeah, and the Queer Collective. That's how um, Ryan and I know each other is through um, work with the Queer Collective. Yes. Um, and do you know the handle of that? That's at the Queer Collective on TikTok. Um, our website is thequeercollective.us, and we're just an organization of queer people working together, networking um, to make change for LGBT liberation or whatever. Um, yes, but- and by the time some of you are listening to this, we might have our first Queer Collective podcast out, which I am co-hosting. Oh, true. So yeah. yeah. Maybe by the time. I don't know. Maybe. There is going to be a, there is going to be a new podcast, the Queer Collective um, Roundtable um, Jingle Pending, but I think that it's going to be the Queer Collective Podcast. <laughs> the trailer might be out by the time. This goes up. So if you want to uh, uh, go subscribe hear more to from another podcast, people, go, yes, go to the Queer Collective Podcast. We'll still be doing the Alpha Mafia Podcast, of course, but I'll also be over there um, co-hosting as well. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Yay. Hope you learned something. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. You are all so beautiful and amazing. Make sure to check us out at www.thealphabetmafia.com. You can read our blogs there. You can support our brand. Get a sticker. Get yourself a sticker. That really helps us. It raises brand awareness. You put it on your water bottle. You put it on your laptop. It becomes more of a common thing seen around town. Of course, if you need serious help, you can visit the trevorproject.org or you can give them a call at 1-866-488-7386. If you are in need of serious help, please reach out to those people immediately. They will be more than happy to help in a, in a tremendous way. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you have a beautiful morning, evening, whatever it is. Good night.